Light screen, good. Episode 19, BNBFC, short intro today. Lots to talk about. United's game, Arsenal's game. Barca being hit with corruption charges. Where do you want to start, Brett? Arsenal, let's do this. Um, Arsenal against Fulham, that had to be one of the most dominant performances without it looking like the other team was just, like, terrible. Like, Fulham didn't play, like, as well as they, they could have, but I think it was a much more comprehensive, dominant especially the first half. And I think just Arsenal played the second half very professionally, but. Um, the second Ar- goal is suspect of that. Martinelli should, is not an oh, oh, aerial no. ball winner. No, but this, I think it was Fulham as a team played pretty decent. No doubt Arsenal but, deserved the result. I think, I think Roberts, what's his name? Robinson. I think that's the American defender on Fulham. He had a couple of individual. Ted Lasso. He had a couple of very bad individual errors. I just mean Fulham as a whole. I don't think we're like, you know, sometimes when a team is dominant and you're like, well, the other team was just horrible. Kind of like when United gave up against Liverpool. <laughs> but um, I just thought it was such a great performance. And you're starting to see again with uh, Trossard how Arsenal were playing at the start of the year when they were really dominant over people where you saw a lot of the changing between Martinelli and Trossard. I want to just mention this is Martinelli, uh, before the uh, transfer window was to have the highest successful dribble rate. And I think, I mean, he's played less games uh, for Arsenal, but Trossard's dribbling rate is, he had a hundred percent dribble. Every take on that he had with uh, the defenders he won, he was causing mayhem, a hat trick of assists. And I just want to say about the the game, it's just just one of those things that it could have went really bad. We've had a couple shaky performances where we've had to be really good to come back and get something out of it. And we just came back from playing on Thursday in Lisbon. And now we have to, you know, we're going away against Fulham, which I think they're in seventh or eighth. Um, So not an easy game. And I don't know. I just find the signing of Trossard is like, such a brilliant like I didn't realize how good it was at first but he just fits in like it's like he's been playing there for years like that's how good he fits in with everybody and it's just unbelievable the the use of of money that was going to go to Mudrick and you got Jorginho which he plays different than Partey I was mentioning this to Brian the other day but it still doesn't change the way that Arsenal play so I just I'm really impressed with that and Trossard looks like one hell of a player for the short term as far as that Mudrick thing. Mudrick. I, I remember the day the Mudrick deal went through. I was talking to Brett on the phone. Brett was distraught. He was upset. He was telling me how the Instagram was, you know, all the social media posts were pointing towards Mudrick heading to Arsenal. And I was like, Brett, that's what we, like. you can do better with that money. And ultimately, I think Arsenal had the great transfer window. We talked about this in podcast, the podcast before, but kind of looking to, because they had a fairly defined best 11. And then I, I, and I think they rightly went after depth impact subs plus guys that it's not like your team's weaker by bringing them into the starting 11 from time to time. So, and both of those guys have played in the premier league for a significant amount of time and yeah, doing well. Yeah. I just, just to not, not defend myself, but, Real reason is because I, I feel like Arsenal is a big club. So it's just one of those things where I wanted to see a big money signing come in. And sometimes that's not the best option, clearly, um, with what's going on. Trough. 
I don't know. Trossard is just, he's one hell of a player. So Arsenal dominant, and it's one of those things where hopefully we can keep this momentum up. And Gabriel Jesus, actually, Arteta came out and said, because they asked, oh, does he walk back in the team? And he said, you know, we're glad that uh, Jesus is back, but, you know, everybody has to earn a spot on this team. It's not just as easy as you come back. So I think Trossard is going to keep keep starting for... Well, that, that's a good scenario to be in because I think when star players are coming back from injury, if you're rushing them into the team, yeah. you could either re-aggravate re- that injury or they're coming into the side, oh, I need to perform. Like, you know, if the side was not doing well, Jesus would come in, oh, and then try and do too much. But yeah. I think I don't think he starts. He, he maybe comes on at 60 minutes, yeah. halftime, depending on the scenario, and then two well, or three matches in. Then he gets a start. And we well, see you can where juggle he goes the Europa League, too. Uh, one of the nice things about it where it's a nice headache is you can have things now where it's Trossard, uh, Martinelli, but now you can do Martinelli, uh, Jesus again, and now you can actually do Trossard, Jesus as well. So it just causes a lot of um, variation. Mayhem on the back line, the opponent's back line. Exactly. Um, we can move on to the United game if you want, if you don't have anything else to say. I, it really was one of the... Not that United Arsenal haven't looked like being capable of champions, but they looked like a, t- a top of the league team in that performance. One of the handful this year. Yeah, oh, I agree. I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I don't think they're going to win the league still. I just want to make that clear. Because, I mean, what was it? I, Liverpool, um, I can't remember what Liverpool was ahead, but they got 97 points and they lost the league. So well, what is it? City could get because City have already could get to ninety, I think ninety around that spot yeah. too if they won every game, which they easily could. What they is don't it? Know. Arsenal can get a maximum of ninety nine points this year, so that means that City can get a maximum of ninety four. So they would be the team to do it, though. So we'll see. Uh, what did you think, United's team? How did nobody find the back of the net? <laughs> no, there's there's obviously lots of talking points to this one. Casemiro sent off for the second time in the United kit. It's a red card. I think there have I've seen a relative level of consistency in the Premier League. It doesn't really seem to matter how much contact is made, but when you studs up and you and you're and you're even grazing the kind of the uh, the high ankle area that that people do, it seems to seems to get called. So I don't have a problem with that. It was a yellow. And then on it, and then the VAR rule it back. But this is where you have a problem with the, where I have a problem with the penalty shout for United. So the Anthony Taylor has no problem overturning a call. What? Not, not, not that this is a conspiracy, but he doesn't overturn the call. He does overturn the call in the Casemiro instance, but doesn't in that second one. And, and I'm I, 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 trying to wonder why. And one of the reasons potentially. If you do look, the ball is hitting the player higher up in the arm. It's not out on the hand or the fingers. It is the, the kind of the bicep area. The hand is certainly in an arm is in an unnatural position. The guy's on all fours trying to block a little cross coming in. But one thing I wonder, because we do know Premier League refs have egos, and it must be super, and I do, I do have some, <laughs> some sympathy for Anthony Taylor. I can only imagine how annoying Bruno Fernandes is in your face but i almost wonder sometimes if if players by kind of being very assertive and aggressive in how they approach the referee in wanting to get those calls are actually not doing themselves a favor 
in getting those and that makes the ref more stubborn. I think so. I mean, you look at uh, players like Luis Suarez or Neymar, like a lot of the times you'll see refs just shoo them off or like tell them to get up. It's human nature. I don't think you shouldn't necessarily, I'm not saying you're doing this, but blaming the ref when you know somebody's like trying for that. And I did say this actually a couple podcasts ago where I was like, it's becoming a pattern with Frenage and I don't know if that's going to negatively affect, um, not to jump in, but once again, like I've seen lots of United fans online thinking like that was never a red. And you know, they say audacious things like you've never played the game of football. If you think that's a red, do I agree with it being a red call, a red card? Absolutely. Do I hate the rule, the way that it's written? Absolutely. But like by the way that you're supposed to officiate the game, that's a red card every single day of the week. It does not matter if the ball, if your foot rolls over the ball, it's the placement of your challenge. And when it comes to that area, they're really trying to protect players. So it has to be a red. Well, apparently every contact goes, it doesn't matter if you get hit in the, in the thigh, yeah, you go down and hold yeah. your high like that. Apparently, they're getting hit. A high ankle is but getting targeted. If you, if you look at the replay, though, he does hit him right yeah. in the top. Like that's it's one of those ones where you go, "Oh, he's holding the right spot and all that." But I do think it's kind of like the handball, where if your arm's in an unnatural position, and the and the ball ricochets a couple times, sometimes they'll just call it because it's like, well, it's in an unnatural position. Well, there's no way that this guy could predict that the ball was going to be. Uh, deflected that way into the hand. So I just think it's one of those black and white written rules, even though there should be a little bit of gray area because he does get the contact on the ball first. It's just however, the way that it's written. Well, it's it's it's, it's disappointing too because in the old, Traf- old Trafford Stadium, the way the camera sits, you can see the VAR monitor when the ref goes over and it's paused at the angle that's got Casemiro making contact with the and here's the thing, that and not looking at the context, and I do think it's a red, but it just seems a little suspect. And and it seems like any time now where the ref goes to look at the monitor, yeah, it's it's gonna get overturned. It was a formality at that point. Whenever a ref goes and look, I assume he's gonna that over call is gonna get overturned now but in, in any situation. Not to play devil's advocate, but I just wanna say this reminds me an awful lot of when players put their hands around the neck. So it doesn't matter in in which way they put their arms around the neck of another player. It's just if there is contact around the neck, that's it, red immediately. So that kind of makes me think of this call. It, I'm not saying I agree with it, but you can't, and you're not disagreeing with it either, but it has to be a red, just the way the laws are. Like, they should revamp that because, I mean, Casemiro's red where he had his hands. If you, if you watch it fully, it doesn't even look like there's much pressure. It doesn't look like in a real form of aggression. But I just think when a ref goes to look at a monitor, he should watch the whole play unfold oh, instead of it getting paused at one spot. Because yeah. that's such a confirmation bias or an unconfirmation bias if he's yeah, he quick call. to change that. So. But I don't know. Uh, on the whole, United 10 men played competitively. You have to think that if they they would have gotten a result if, if Casemiro managed to stay on the pitch. But that being said, he, he didn't. So that's that's not an excuse. Or, you know, you shouldn't use that as an excuse. And and if you're a top four team, you should you should almost be able to just about have enough to still get a win against the bottom table team at or bottom of the table team at home, even down a man. And they it was a fairly even game on the whole. Lots of chances. Should have been a one one or a two one or a two two game probably for 
for somebody with the amount of chances. Lots of posts got hit. Fernandes hit the post. I think Ward Prowse had a free like, man taking free kicks is dangerous. <laughs> Ward um, Prowse, I can't believe that guy. Yeah, he's a wizard. Um, I just wanted to say this. Okay, I had to cut you off, but I, I've been waiting to say this. I held it back for so long today, but I read a stat today, and I, I'm going to talk about it. But I just want to confirm, even with the viewers, and I'm going to ask you, Brian, is throughout the weeks that we've been covering like a lot of United, I've personally been saying that Rashford's probably the most informed player in the world. Right? I've been saying that. Yeah. Can you confirm? Have you felt the sentiment of Rashford's been unbelievable this season? Have I? Yeah. Have you felt like he's been playing really well this season? Post-World Cup he has, but that's yeah. that's still it's still it needs to keep going, I would say, to yeah. call it anything more than form. No, form no, is temporary. Oh no, I, I agree with form. I'm not saying that like it's going to continue. That's not what I'm getting at. But you've you've he's had a good season so oh, far. Oh yeah, yeah, you really good that, Yeah. Okay, so the way that the media has been covering Rashford, include like I've been covering Rashford this way too, but they've been talking about Rashford being like the best player in the world currently. Like some pundits have said that. Do you know that Gabriel Martinelli has played one more game than Rashford and only has two less goals? Not a word about this guy's performance. Interesting. I just, I just want to mention that because it, it's just so interesting. Although you will say once again that you know Rashford's played a lot better since the world, the World Cup uh, has ended. But it's just interesting the coverage around United. And the, the reason I bring this up is because it seems United, when it comes to good news, they get over over publicized for things. But however, it seems when bad news is going their way, it's also the extreme as well, which. I find uh, when it comes to officiating, I just wonder if that's the nature of United with refereeing that if they're really playing well, calls tend to go their way versus if it's not going well. I don't I don't know if it's like an implicit and that's kind of like a you know tinfoil hat thing, but you just I use that example with Rashford because it really like when Ten Hag was going on that really unbeaten run. And things like that, people blew it up. But then when they started losing games, it was like you know the end of United. And I was just wondering what you think of that whole. I don't know if it's a United thing or more of a Rashford specific thing. It's probably both. But one thing about, I think the media want to to love Rashford, and you can't you can't not like the guy oh, for no, what he does absolutely. off the pitch. So I think he's he's doing all this good good work off the pitch. So they really want to, and maybe people look at that and and transfer what he's doing off the pitch to his performances. But do you think? On it. Do you think that United, though, when they're successful, people want to be a United fan, and then when they're when they're not successful, people want to burn them to the ground, like add. It just seems to yeah. be a fan base, and you see this on social media posts and. Oh, the after one bad result, people are like, oh, you know, the United of old is back. The five years ago, United where they couldn't get results, couldn't get into the top four, and all that stuff. And then they have one good win. No one actually looks over the course of the season to to kind of evaluate where they are. And, and if you and if you put all that together, which I think if you want to be an unbiased supporter, that's what you have to do. And yeah, they should be a team. They it looks like the top four is comfortable at this point for them. Nothing more than that. I don't think they're going to make a push for, for second, but they should be making top four. Having the Carabao Cup win, they're, they're, they've got one foot in the last eight of the Europa League. 
pretty much. They've got a they're in the quarterfinals. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty good season for the the Ten Hag project. You have to. It's a lot of promise going forward, and you you think with a couple good signings, and if the trajectories keeps kind of way it might look, they they could be challenging for the Premier League Champions League in two to three years. That's the optimistic perspective. Of course, it could go downhill too but if you look at the balance i think that's where they're at as a club i just think uh, the only reason i mentioned that is because i think united's been had a disservice by the media with i just find it's very they overhype the good things that are going on without being a little bit realistic but then like overestimate like the demise of the team when things are going wrong so I think you're right, like looking at United's season as a whole, it's been successful. And I don't think that you should be saying it wouldn't be successful if they, you know, they didn't win uh, some of the cups that are coming up or uh, coming in third, if, which would they look like they're going to do. So um, one of the other things in the media, I just want to jump jump ahead to it because we got lots to talk about here and you can take it away, but you got lots to talk about with Barca. Yeah, interesting. So we're looking at the period. If, if you're not familiar with the story, Barca's been accused of corruption charges from the period of 2008 to 2014. So, and obviously that's a time in their history that's littered with silverware. Probably one of the best club teams of all time coming out of that. So kind of the same thing what we talked about potentially with, with City. So this is a joint effort from La Liga and UEFA. So it could encompass being stripped of four, I think around four Liga titles, maybe even more than that, uh, the two Champions Leagues that they won during that time. And I don't know, it, it's kind of interesting because it seems like a lot of things come out of the woodwork and that City thing, Juventus, and it, and it just makes it makes you wonder if people are saying, oh, what's what about Barcelona? But there hasn't been as much hard evidence at this point, so... We don't know. I don't know exactly what it looks like and, and accused of paying off the vice president of the Spanish refereeing association. And that's the tricky thing with, with this because we, everyone, refs other than England actually can put, can rub their brain cells together and make decisions because the corruption comes in England. I don't know if these are just idiots with the whistles or there's actual corruption. So this could be sneaky kind of corruption, but in, in a way it's also kind of disappointing in the sense that I don't think they needed to pay off refs to win those trophies with how good that team was. No, I agree. I just wanted to say this, though. On one hand, you look at uh, Barca's financial troubles and you go, oh, yeah, there's they would have hadn't been paying off. Like, like, how do they mismanage their money that bad? But then on the other hand, you go, you were paying off refs and winning that much silverware and you still went into financial um, ruin, basically. So I don't know how to how to look at it. Um, one of the things that me and Brian talked about yesterday, and it just opens a whole can of worms for me as far as um, I'll just talk about this is just the Balboa conversation. It's a dicey, you know, maybe maybe Ronaldo and his team leak this information on Barca because they're they, almost getting his best suit ready to yeah. go testify in the courtroom. Yeah. Cause the one thing about it is, um, you look at some of the years that the Baldor was picked, it seemed to be based off of the champions league winner or the champions league MVP. Like there's on not uh world cup years. Like it seemed very much favored towards that. Um, so like, 
we were looking at the, the time period, Brian and I last night, and Messi had won four bell doors during that time. So it's just one of those like, well, you know, does that go to the second place person if Messi doesn't win the um, the World Cup, but they're sorry, he doesn't win the Champions League. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about with it is when you're trying to get rid of trophies and, and distribute it, are there, how many teams felt like um, in finals like that felt like it was like the ref had done them wrong? I'm wondering, I know that there's the, the Chelsea famous Chelsea Barca game. Yeah. Other than 2009 that where it was, that was bad, but like, um, I, that's the only one. The only one, the ones that I really know well are the ones that they played United in the Champions Leagues, and and both of those times, comprehensive Barca victories. Sir Alex Ferguson came out after one of them and said, "Yeah, we played really well, and we lost three one, but that that was that was the best team we've ever played against." I think my players did unbelievably well in that. So, yeah, they were they were going to win that regardless. What I find is interesting about this is almost treating like a a criminal case where they've actually, there's one article, I don't know how awesome or um, reliable it is, but just the, what their explanation is that Real Madrid's being brought in to like testify as basically like a victim statement. <laughs> so it's just, it's just so interesting that that's the, you know, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of infinite or evidence if they're trying to bring in like a victim, how this is affected. Cause you're looking at Juventus. It's not like, whoever came second in those years, you know, are testifying as a victim or even city having Liverpool come in as a, as a victim or um, I don't know who else they were racing for the title at that time off the top of my head, but it's very interesting, but I mean, Barca's already banned from making any transfer activity in the summer. So like this, it just keeps getting worse and they have an old squad as far as like, you know, Lewandowski, so, I mean, they got rid of Memphis, but I think he's on loan. I can't remember. But but really, if, if Real Madrid is on the providing a statement as the aggrieved party against what, what stops? Because technically, it's not just the second place. If the refer, if, if, if indeed refereeing decisions were going in Barca's favor, there's 19 other teams in the league each of those years, too, that might feel aggrieved. What if someone didn't get a result against Barca that they would have made the Champions League? And think about how much financial club comes with. You get, I think it's around 60, 80, 100 million, 60 or 80 million euros-ish. What you get, the difference between fourth and fifth getting into the, the Champions League. So they have, they would have some right to feel aggrieved too if that was indeed the case. I just don't understand how you would punish Barca if they are guilty. Because it seems like a whole can of worms and a lot of effort to like relocate, like you're saying, trophies and money and it seems like they would much rather just hit them with a fine but like how do you put a put a number on that well how do you put a number on it but also is it's just i don't know it are they in such financial ruin that when you hit them with a fine they're just gonna have to get new owners it's gonna turn into post-world war one germany and they're gonna start printing money and yeah we all know how that went so i don't i don't i don't know what the punishment would be if they're found guilty but but and even the trophies getting because United would from a Champions League perspective United would be a beneficiary. But I'm I'm not going to that and say yeah we won the 20 2009 and 2011 like I don't some fans might think yeah 
count it, but but I'm not one of those. Like I wouldn't see it as significant. And 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 you get that, but you don't have the moments because for me, the the moments associated with the trophies are just as important as the trophies. If you watch those games, oh, that was a big moment. So for me, it doesn't change it. The same with City fans; they still have the, they still remember how they felt for Aguero's goal. That's not going to change whether that trophy gets ripped away or not. For yeah, example. That's true. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's interesting. Anyway, ongoing development. I'm sure we will revisit this. Oh, absolutely. You want to go into stoppage time now? Sure. Okay. What's the first question? All right. We've got a few Premier League keepers on taps to potentially take home the Golden Glove for the most clean sheets. Who's going to win? Got to be Ramsdale. Has to be. You look at you look at who he's competing against, and you have David De Gea. Like they, so the way that it goes is Nick Pope and Ramsdale are tied for twelve, uh, twelve um, clean sheets, and uh, De Gea's got eleven. The difference between like I would even rather give De Gea the shout before Nick Pope, and there's nothing wrong with Nick Pope; he's really good. But I just think. His performances as a keeper have not as been as dramatic as the other two. And the Newcastle's trajectory yeah. kind of as well. They've stuttered lately. I just find that keepers that have the worst, the, the not as good defense seems to get a little bit more of a, a show as far as like their performances because they, they stand out a little bit more. So I think that that might give them the edge. But Ramsdale's... I don't know. I think this year, I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan, it's biased, but I just think he's been phenomenal this year. You know, every time he's been asked, he's stepped up to the plate. So, but we'll see. In some ways, it's like the golden boot race. You've got different people and just looking at how the years went. And it looks like Pope is going to be picking up fewer and Ramsdale might keep up the pace. And De Gea, who knows? But if Ramsdale's ahead of him right now, he might just about stay there. Chelsea! They've won a couple Three on wins the on the trot. Yeah. I'd like to apologize to all. Absolutely not. No, yeah. Chelsea fans, I'm still going to give it to you. Graham Potter, he's, he's won three games. Dortmund result was good, and the performance ha- have been okay. Enzo Fernandez looks like a good signing from what we've seen so far. Mujic got, thought he got on the board, went over and celebrated, like an only idiot. for it to get ruled out. Richarlison did that too. Oh my it's god! So did you see what Tershawson did? He yeah, went over and shushed Ponte, and then it got flagged. Oh my god! Um, it's going to take a lot more more than this to to get to see where Chelsea's going to go. I'm not convinced. They got to do a lot more. Yeah, I don't think they're back. They they have a lot, and I mean, we don't know if this is the Chelsea or if it's just a run of good form right now. We don't know if they're going to slip. We'll see what's going on. Um, I'm going to ask this next question again because it pertains to my team, so I'd like to hear a kind of a neutral perspective. What's the percent City winning the league or Arsenal winning the league? I'm going to. I think Arsenal have a slight edge. I honestly do. This City barely won against Crystal Palace. Had to get a penalty. They weren't overwhelmingly strong and we're getting to the point there's only 11 games left on a five game or five point lead so that means Arsenal can pretty much drop points twice and and even if City's perfect pretty much and still be there and and, and I think they they might just about do that they only that's getting a result in about 80% of the 
the games obviously they've got a big game against City. Is it yeah. at, at, at the Etihad? Yeah. So we'll see how that one. That if Arsenal can avoid defeat in that one, I think they've got it, and I'm just going to give them the edge. They have to go to Anfield too. <laughs> so well, it depends what Liverpool yeah. you're, you're going to get the seven nil, or you're going to get the one nil loss to Bournemouth. I'm a little bit more cautious. I I still think City are slight favorites because of that Anfield team. So we'll see after. All right, Manchester United in kind of the latter stages of a couple other cup competitions. Do you think they're going to win either the FA Cup or the Europa League? I think they're going to win one more. I'm not sure which one, um, but I think they'll win one more. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the both teams that they're competing against or, you know, quote unquote, competing against in the FA Cup and in Europa League are in a title race. So... I don't know if um, Arteta or Guardiola are going to try to prioritize that. I have no idea. I might be completely off base and, you know, Guardiola really wants the FA Cup. So I think they'll win at least one more. I don't know. They seem one. to be the second best team left in both of yeah. in the competition. So, yeah, they, they could. They might. I don't think they will, though. Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, you're and that's, just an, emo- that's yeah. just an emotion thing. But... Anyway, that's it for this episode. We'll catch you in the next one. See ya.